Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. I'll be reading from Deuteronomy 26, verses 1 through 11. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground, which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand, and sets it down before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Aramean was my ancestors. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number, and there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by imposing hard labor on us, We cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power, and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring The first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me, you shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second reading is taken from Luke's Gospel. It is the familiar passage of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. We are in Luke 4, verses 1 through 13. Familiar words? Listen again with fresh ears. Luke 4, 1 through 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan where he was just baptized, just baptized, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. 
The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all of the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I gave it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not Put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there's a young couple recently married. Both of them in entry-level jobs, neither of them making any money. They have old cars, and they just bought a new house. They are barely limping to make ends meet every month. So they're shopping out one afternoon, and they find themselves in kind of an expensive area of town. They decide to go into a clothing store. It has both men's clothing and women's clothing, and they separate for a little bit. I'll see you later. See you later. Kiss, kiss. The man goes to the men's section. The girl lady goes to the women's section. And the man's excited, he's looking at these clothes that he knows he can't afford. One day, I'm going to get one of those ties, I'm going to get one of those suits, I'm going to get some new shoes, not today, but one day I'm going to earn my way there and I'm going to get there one day. So he comes back and meets his wife and notices that she has a dress in her hands that she's already paid for $3,000. She should have said no to the dress. So he says, what are, you, what are you doing? You know we have no money. How, how could you do this? And she said, I know I shouldn't have. But I saw it on the mannequin, and it's like the devil himself was there and said, you would look great in that. You need to try it on. And gosh, well, I did. And he said, you look so good, you need to buy that. So I did. And the husband says, well, I hear that voice sometimes too, and I normally say, get behind me, Satan. And and the wife says, well, I said that too, but he said, you look pretty good from back here too. (laughs) So today is about temptation. About temptation. We start in Luke with Jesus in the wilderness. We're in Luke 4, still very early. Jesus has just been baptized. And the first thing that happens is that he's driven into the wilderness by the Spirit for 40 days. And in Luke's gospel, he doesn't eat anything for that time. 
And so it's at the end of the 40 days that the devil comes to him at his most weak, at his most vulnerable. I don't know that I can go 40 minutes without thinking about what my next snack and my next meal is, much less 40 days. And Jesus, again, at the end of this cycle, and the devil comes and says, if you are who they all say you are, if you are the one that they said would come, then just turn the stone to bread. Paraphrasing. What's that? No skin off your nose. You're hungry. You have God's power. You are empowered. You're the Messiah. Just turn it into bread. What's the big deal? Have some lunch. And Jesus responds immediately, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, this first temptation is kind of a physical representation. In other words, it's something tangible, something that we all affects us in a physical way. Hunger is something that can control us. Hunger is something that can be addictive. Food can be one of those things that holds us, but it kind of symbolizes our physical temptations, whether that is food, whether that is physical intimacy that becomes unhealthy and negative and overwhelming. It encompasses these bodily sins, again, that can take us over. And Jesus says it's not these physical things that we should live by. The devil says, okay, all right. So he takes him up the mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms. The devil says, guess what, Jesus, I know what you're here to do. You came to bring this world back to you. You want to spread your word. You want to reconcile them. You want to heal them. You want to do all those things the Messiah is supposed to do. All you have to do is fall and worship me, and it's all yours. You don't have to start with these 12 disciples. You don't have to claw and scratch in these churches and every new members and the budget and the thing. You can get it done right now and knock it out. Whatever you do with these kingdoms is up to you. I'll just give them to you. All you have to just kneel, worship me. It's a done deal. We'll get this done. Easy road. And Jesus says, we're supposed to worship only the Lord alone. Okay, all right. So third try. Devil takes Jesus up to Jerusalem where the temple is, puts him on the pinnacle, which in our church would go well because we just replaced ours. I think it would hold all of our weight. Thank you, Scott. We're in great shape up there. And he says, throw yourself down because, to paraphrase, the angels will not let you fall. They will not let your foot be moved. They will save you if you are that Messiah you claim to be. And he quotes the 91st Psalm. The devil uses scripture against Jesus. The devil said, oh, he refuted me twice with scripture. I'm going to start the third one, and I'm going to start with scripture. If that gives you a little, there's another whole sermon in there about how we use Scripture and who uses Scripture for what purposes. The devil uses Scripture. Here, quotes it. And again, Jesus, 
too smart for all of it, too faithful. Says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And the devil went out until it says, until a more opportune time. When, when do you think a more opportune time would come in, the, in what we know in Christ's life? What's that? At the cross, right. Crucifixion, resurrection. When Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, Lord, if there's any other way that this could happen, I would prefer that. That is a moment of vulnerability. But then Jesus says, but not my will, but your will be done, God. And when Jesus is on the cross and the soldiers are telling him just as the devil did on that pinnacle, throw yourself down. You're the Messiah. Save yourself, for crying out loud. Give us a little power. Give us a little display. Show us a little something. Give us a magic trick to show us that you are who you say and they say you are. That was a more opportune time. But again, the devil put down. So important to know that Jesus refutes these temptations with Scripture all three times. From what book does he quote? Deuteronomy, I heard it right. So this is in the last book of the Torah, the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law attributed to Moses. Moses was winding down his ministry, and the law had already been given. This was a second reinforcement in Deuteronomy of what had already been given because he was about to move on, let Joshua take it in in the promised land. So Jesus uses Scripture from Deuteronomy three times, chapter 8, chapter 10, and chapter 6. So one, it tells us that Jesus knows his Scripture. And remember, they didn't have Bibles they were carrying around with them in that day. The Scripture was contained in the synagogue in these huge scrolls. Jesus knew his Scripture and quoted it three times. The second thing this tells us is that Scripture and the Bible is meant to be more than a reference book, like your biology book in high school or your history book or your big monster encyclopedia of Civil War battles that you keep on your table. All those are great. But the Bible, yes, you can open it and go to certain places and check certain things. But at the end of the day, it is God's living word. And it can protect us, inspire us, lead us, just like it did with Jesus in the wilderness. And we need to realize that and give ourselves time in it. So the first temptation, again, was kind of physical with the bread. The second was more power. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, power, wealth, glory. And then the third one, testing God. I think we do all of those things regularly. Hard not to be tempted. Every day we are tempted in small and large ways. And Christ is telling us that there is a way forward. And this Lenten journey as we prepare to walk with Christ to Jerusalem, to the cross, in the empty tomb, we are to look inward. It's not as fun as Advent. Advent was more, yay, Christmas, baby's about to be born, miraculous, wonderful things are happening. 
This is a more inward journey for each of us to look at our lives and to say, what is a, if not the, temptation that keeps me from being closer to Christ, closer to my family, closer to my church family, closer to those I love in my life? And then, if only with baby steps, in prayer as Christ was in the wilderness, you seek help from God so that this, whatever it is in your life, will not take you over. We become so comfortable in our change. We become comfortable with these things that overtake us because we think we can't fight them. And each of us has something and most of us multiple things that we battle on a daily basis, that we've learned how to manipulate so that we appear to be good, faithful people in the world, which we are. But we know what's going on inside of our hearts. We are created by God and we are special people in God's beloved children. And we are also a sinful mess, each one of us. And this journey is to help us to say, you know what, I've, I've played at this Christian thing for so long, I'm gonna really dedicate myself and try this. If, you've, if you're looking at the pool of faith and you haven't even stuck your toe in yet, this is the time to do that. And the problem with just your toe is that you get about that much return back. What you need is to at least step in to the shallow end. If you're in the shallow end already, go to the middle part of the pool. If you're in the middle part of the pool of faith, then let's take a deep dive. That's what the six weeks of Lent is meant to do, for us to look inward, target those things that keep us from Christ, from one another and from ourselves, and to, in prayer, attack those things or address them. You can't not be sinful. Only Christ was sinless. But if we can beat it back enough to let the Holy Spirit in, then we will be walking closer and more faithful. And we'll feel that connectedness, that return. Why can't I feel God any closer? Well, because we often aren't trying. Again, we're comfortable in our change. We know what overtakes us. And at the end of the day, we love sin. We're addicted to sin. All of us. My sound pointing to me too. And that's what this journey is meant to help with. We can stand, we can be more faithful. There's a story in Greek mythology. Hmm. All right, I'll say it fast. Story in Greek mythology about those sailors on ships who were going by the mythical creatures who were sirens on their island, and they sing this haunting, enchanting uh, uh, song that gets the sailors into a trance. They turn their ship toward their island, they crash, the ship sinks, the sailors die. The sirens get their spoils from their ship. So one day another boat comes by. They're expecting the same thing. They sing their song, but the boat doesn't stop. It keeps going. And what's the difference? On that particular ship, the god of music, Orpheus, was there playing an ever more sweet song. Now, for us to understand that 
For us, Christ's song is far more sweet than our own sin and temptation. But we often don't believe that. We want self-gratification. We like our self-centeredness. We like to please ourselves in the way that we do. And Lent is that time where we can beat that back, if only a little bit. Where we can say, God, you are more important than this silly thing that only feeds me but does not satisfy. You are the bread of life, and I want to take you in completely and deeply. Our job is not to be connected or engrafted with our own sin. So in Africa, one of the hardest creatures to catch is the ring-tailed monkey. There are those who try to catch it to be with zoos to help the conservation effort, and they can't catch them. So they turn to the Zulus, the native people who have been catching these ring-tailed monkeys for years. How do they do it? They use the melon on the vine. They cut a hole in it because these monkeys want the seeds, not the melon. And what they do is stick their hand in and they grab the seeds and their hand gets stuck and they can't pull it out. They will not let go of the seeds at any cost. And at that point, they are distracted. They're weighed down by this melon and they simply come up behind them and overtake them. We hang on to sin in that same way, and it is that self-destructive. We hold on to those seeds, to that sin, and we won't let it go because we love it. We don't think that following Christ in a faithful and completely dedicated way will be better than that. So we hold on and we hold on. If we could just let go and pull our hands out, we will see a far better way, a far sweeter song. So it is today on this first Sunday of Lent that we are being called to self-examine, to push our self-centeredness and self-pleasing ways back just enough to leave room for God's Holy Spirit so that we can repent, so that we can seek to walk closer. If you take something on, great. If you give something up, fine. As long as it helps you get closer to God and be healthy with all of that. No 40 days fasting for you. You have a variety of ways that you can do that. There are devotions of plenty out there. We've given you three examples. Find a way that is unique to you to spend with Christ in these six weeks. This is our time for this journey. Let's all dive in and take the plunge with Christ as we all walk to Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Amen.